0: Hello and welcome back to the RFN podcast. This week we've got a little bit of a packed episode as we review all the latest in in the last round of the Champions League group stages. Recap the events of last weekend's RPL action. And go over big news at the top of the table as Spartak Moscow sack in part ways with the Sporting Director Shamil Gazizov. Joining me this week is, as usual, David Sanson.
1: Good evening, James.
0: And Richard Pike.
1: Good evening, James. How are we?
0: I'm good, mate. I'm really good today. I mean, well, I wasn't good on Tuesday after watching the Zenit game, and to start off straight away, Zenit... Went down two one losers at home to Borussia Dortmund on Tuesday afternoon in UK time, where we all are. So, Richard, you watched Zenit live. What did you oh. think of the game?
1: <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I mean, let's be fair. I think I think the game just kind of summed up Zenit's Champions League campaign. I think it went wrong right from the moment from 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 the get go. Um, you know, they were too too cautious in the first half against the Bruce side, missing a few first-team players due to, you know, COVID cases and, and to injury um, and suspension too. Yeah, and then and, and the game against Dortmund. I mean, I mean it was, there were still some first-team players out there for Dortmund. I mean, Hummels played, Mounier, um, Hummels. But, I mean, there were, you know, there were no, no Erling Haaland. And it was an opportunity for Zenit. And again, you know, they got the lead in the game. Um, and, you know, you thought at that time, okay, they were, they were doing well. They played relatively well in the first half and what I saw, you know, for what I was seeing. You know, they were playing well in the first half, and then second half, again, just I think possibly just didn't quite have the killer instinct to go for a second goal when they were on top or, or when they were, you know, when, when the game was balanced and they were a goal up. And then, you know, the old... The old frustrating thing of individual mistakes, once again. You know, uh, for the first goal, a rebound, Mikhail Kirchhoff doesn't hold the ball. Um, and, you know, then it's a tap-in for Dortmund. And the second goal was just shocking, really. I mean, you know, it was just really, really poor. Axel Witzel, there must have been about six Zenit players nearby him now. You know, I know he's a, he's a Zenit legend and, um, you know, you want to give him a, a nice welcome back to St. Petersburg, but don't be so charitable. He got so much space and time to pick his shot. And I think that just sums up Zenit's entire Champions League campaign. You know, it's just, just been frustrating from the get-go, never got going and just an embarrassment. One point from twelve, one point of a possible 18, and no wins from, three, from from all three of the home games. It's, well, yeah, all, all three of their home games. is It's just a huge disappointment huge disappointment
0: now before the game Sergei semak did make quite a perhaps controversial but seemingly uh bold decision in in dropping his captain Artem Artem zuba in which he started with sardar sebastian de and malcolm in the Chapman Z game for the first time this season now richard do you think that made much of a difference especially with juicy and in his what's favoured more central role in which he, he decried midweek on Twitch famously that he wanted to be playing more as more in the centre and less out wide. Do you think this did make a difference to Zenit that they had more possession and more shots on goal than any other game in the Champions League so far?
1: Oh yeah, I thought I thought Juicy did quite well in the first half. Um it's just very, very difficult, isn't it, to see him playing centrally because obviously the partnership between Artem Juba and Sardar Asmun has worked really well. Um well, it'd be very interesting to see what happens now with Juicy, won't it? Because, you know, he's out of contract at the end of the season. And, you know, obviously, if he's expressed this desire to play centrally and Zenit can't really offer it him because they've got two really good strikers in Artem Zuba and Sardar Asmun, you know, who forged a superb partnership, then it's difficult to really see where they can fit him in, you know, um, in a central role. Um, I mean, don't be me wrong, I think Juicy did very, very well when he, when he played. Um, especially in the first half, he played very, very well. But, but with him taking up a foreign spot and with him being out of contract in the summer, it's difficult. If he wants to play century, I, I, I wouldn't blame him in the slightest for you know moving on in the summer. And you know, I think he's been a good servant to Zanit. Um, you know, a good, solid, steady player. Works hard on the wing, um, but not as you know, when he signed, everybody was in, you know, super fanfare about him. But, you know, perhaps not quite hit as high a height as what we were expecting. I remember his first couple of games and he and he was really, really good. But yeah, he's been a good solid player, but I think if you know, if there really is no room for him because of Juba and Asmoon centrally and he's expressed, you know, a preference to play centrally and he's out of contracts in the summer, then mm-hmm. I'm afraid he might he might well be off in the summer. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've already played. I've already had a good game first half, yeah, when he played centrally.
0: David, what's what's your thoughts on Tracy? It's in Zernet? It. Do you think that he has a future in a central striking role like he wants?
2: Well that was a thing. Uh you know, when he signed, um, you know, I remember reading about him and how he was basically being described as being a, a penalty area striker at, at River Plate. You know, he he I, I seem to recall reading that every goal he'd scored for for his or the club that he'd left, um, was scored from inside the box. And, you know, to see him then pushed out wide for Zenit was an interesting decision. Uh, you know, he, he'd come with a very good goal-scoring record, actually, from Argentina. And, you know, you're hoping to get that fox-in-the-box sort of striker who can be in there and just grab you all sorts of different goals. I mean, Asmune, in Asmune, they've got someone a bit similar. Apparently, he's very good in the air. But Asmune has never scored from outside the box either. He's a penalty box striker. Um so in a way, they sort of got. He's he's the more direct competitor, and the fact that Asmune has the aerial prowess that maybe Jerusalem doesn't quite, I think, has probably cost Jerusalem. Um, I will say that um, Jerusalem's contract is not out of summer out of out this summer. It's next summer. Um, I know all the websites say it's this year, but I knew I did see. Uh, I think on the RFN DMs, we got contacted by someone in the know uh, to tell us that actually it's twenty twenty two. So that does change matters a little bit. Um, can we see him leaving? I think of the foreigners at left at the club, you know, with, with the limit, obviously we, we don't want to keep harping on about the limit. But of the foreigners at the club, he is arguably one of the more expendable ones. You know, you'd want to be keeping um, guys like Douglas and Barrios for certain. Wendell is new. He's not going to go anytime soon. Uh, He needs more time to adapt and to show what sort of player he can be. You know, is he a guy who's going to clearly be better than someone like Ozdoyev, or is he going to be there long term uh, to be a lot better? Malcolm obviously is going to stick around because they don't want to look like they wasted 40 million euros. So, yeah, if if Zenit are going to have to reshuffle the squad, which you'd imagine they probably would like to reshuffle the squad if the limit didn't change, because you know they're a big ambitious club they're going to be probably wanting to make at least one marquee signing next summer um, if they're having to get rid of a foreigner um Girucci might well be the one that has to has to um be sacrificed um, yeah. considering his he you know, he's good you know you can see he's got a good relationship on the pitch with players like zuba as well uh, but when he joined he he came in with a plethora of other argentines and they've all left He's the last remaining one. Granted, he's got Barrios and presumably the Brazilians who he can speak Spanish with still. But um, you know, from his comments, you you could see that probably he was suffering a little bit of you know being played out of position and not and maybe not quite enjoying his time as in Saint Petersburg. Now that he's sort of one of the lone Argentines there, so um, you know, I think long term his suit probably isn't there. You know, the the idea from Zenit of to buy him and turn it around for profit. Um, it's probably not going to happen either you would probably say you, they could probably make like maybe 10 million on him if they tried but with, with the contract having 18 months left that's not that's not ideal so um so yeah I think he, he won't be around probably for too much longer in St Petersburg
0: yeah absolutely I, I remember at the time when when Spartak signed up a, a kind of wait lord of brazilians in the late the late first decade of the 21st century in 2007 to 2009. It was, I think it was Carpin at the time when he was sporting director before he took charge of the team. He, he actually mentioned in an interview, a couple of interviews, that they liked to sign players um, two at a time from either the same country or of the same nationality or very similar uh, linguistically or very similar culturally, just to help those players settle into life in Russia because it is quite the cultural shock and cultural change, especially for someone from Argentina, from from River Plate, uh, where Juliusi was signed from. Um, yeah, when when this, when that sort of was going around the Russian football echo chamber that Juliusi's contract was expiring in 2021... It very much, you'd presume that the power was in his hands with Zenit being right on the limit with eight foreigners, with them, him not really performing to the levels that one would have hoped when he was signed and then this coming out and him obviously being seemingly being quite unhappy. But because it's 2022, then Zenit don't need to panic. They can find the right deal, they can find the right price, they can, they've got plenty of time to shop him out. And I think with the comments midweek and... Basically, looking at the results in Champions League, it's probably an inevitability of when Driessi will leave, not if Driessi will leave in the coming time. And I I don't want to get at the guy because he's been good for, for Zenit, but it's galling that when you look at the stats of... He says he wants to play down as a central role, but to be fair to Semak and Mancini before him, who both played him out wide, both constantly preferred him out wide, his output from goals and assists chance creation is just significantly better from the wide positions than it is centrally is that just because of his pace against RPL defences maybe, maybe it's because it allows Zuba and Asmund in the middle who is just such a dynamic partnership but either way I I, I just don't see C's future being at Zenit anymore with all of this coming along. Um, one last word on Zenit really Richard is that just want to ask how young Danila Prokin did, um, of course he made his Champions League full debut last week against Club Bruges, uh, made a pretty poor error to leading to a goal, was dribbled past more than any other player, made less tackles than any other Zenit player, and, and he really struggled last week. So, Richard, how do you think he got on against that star-studded Dortmund side?
1: I thought he was all right. Um, I mean, for that second goal that Witzel scored, I think that's just an entire defensive team error, isn't it? Um you know, they they literally there was six seven players. I mean, Prokin was one of them, but there was six or seven players, all just just standing in adoring Axel Witzel. None of them fought to close him down, and he just rifled a shot into the bottom corner. Um, it, it really was just absolutely terrible defending um, from from all the team, and it, it was a team game. Um, but like I say, with Prokin, I think I thought he did okay. Um, it's it's not always easy to, you know. It's not always easy for a young player like that coming into a difficult situation in life. Like he's coming up against a star-studded attack. But, but yeah, I, I hope... I just hope some ways Zenit can facilitate possibly a loan for him in January. I know I know it's difficult with a 4 a limit like we went on about last week because, you know, ideally, now Zenit... You really need him to be playing every week somewhere else. And obviously, if you can't get it at Zenit, which, you know, Lovren and Rakitski are there and, you know, he's not going to displace either of those two when they're fit. Um you know, really needs to be playing out on loan somewhere else. Um, I'm just wondering if there's a way to do it. Could they, you know, go with three centre-arse with two central defenders with Cisciak off? And then maybe if they're down two defenders, put um, someone like Douglas Santos at central defence. They've done that before. And just try and sort out a six-month loan for Prokin somewhere, just somewhere where he can play a bit more. Because you know we want to want to see him play every week. At nineteen, there's central defenders in other European countries who are playing from other nationalities who are playing every week. You know, you want to see him, you know, playing to help his development and to aid him as a player. But it's obviously just very, very difficult. But I thought he did all right on the whole, um, considering the the opposition that um, Zenit were playing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and as a quick correction on my behalf as well, I, I mentioned that there was the first time Lucy Osmond and Malcolm played together. Of course, they did play together against Bruges um, as well, so it's just a quick little mis- mistake on my end there. But if we move on to, on to the next game, which was uh, Crescedor, who travelled to London to play as Chelsea. David, what were, what were your thoughts on Crescedor's one all draw in the English capital?
2: Well, I mean... Considering, considering the opposition, you know, a lot of people were saying that it was arguably, you know, the biggest game in their history, you know, going, going away to Stamford Bridge. It was a shame the game didn't stand for more. You know, both teams um, were already assured of their position in their in their respective table. Um, and I think, therefore, the game just lacked a little bit of, of something. It just wasn't, it wasn't as, you know, it wasn't. You could see both teams were not really going for it fully. Um, you know, Chelsea put out uh, a weakened side, which, which you would expect in their position. You know, they've got a big squad. They've got young players they want to u- want to use. Um, you know, Krasnodar gave it, gave it a good goal. See, so they, they went out there. They took the lead. Uh, nice bit of play to set up the goal. Uh, they would had a couple of good link-ups down that left side um, with Klaassen, Van der cabela uh, Klaassen had missed a shot uh, probably five minutes prior to the goal from a similar move. Um, so yeah, really, really good goal. Um, obviously, then not five minutes later, conceded a penalty. Uh, Caio again uh, at fault for that one with a with a, a poor tackle, really. Um, on I think it was Tammy Abraham's striker who spun him in the box. Um, no Safanov this time to try and save the penalty. Gorodov was in there. Um, who had a good game, I thought actually. Uh, made a couple of really good saves and stops in the second half um, where chelsea basically dominated but didn't create anything too clear thought. you know the biggest the biggest chance they had was abraham at which um of which Gorodov kept out with his feet um yeah they, they struggled second half well you know made a couple of changes early doors shappy came on made his 100th appearance for the for the club um but but really the main chances for them came in the first half and it was, it was a shame to see them concede so quickly after scoring uh if they could have maybe just settled on settled on their lead for a bit take, maybe taken 10 15 minutes they might have been able to 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 forge some some counter attacks and and things like that but unfortunately the, the goals came very quickly after they conceded just basically the game back exactly where it had come from uh and, you know i think both teams were, were happy to settle for the draw you know in krass's case it's you know, they can go away and in, it's in their history now. They've got a draw at Stamford Bridge, and you know, that's a big thing for a club like for, for a club like Krasnodar. So, yeah, good good performance on the whole from them. You know, nothing spectacular. Consider um, considering all the other ones where that you know there's been some bad luck going against them. It was sort of um, the first eventless game really. You know, the, goal, the goals went in, nothing good, nothing bad happened from the refs. Just. Uh, just a standard one one draw, really.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was very much one of those games, which is the the kind of dead rubber at the end of a group stages where both teams seem to be relatively happy with what they've achieved. But to be fair to Krasnodar, they, I think they, the players actually felt like they maybe had a point to prove after being so demoralised and demolished last time out against Chelsea with obviously the, the 4-0 win in the mm-hmm. end. But... Krasnodar obviously suffered quite a lot through this group stages in terms of injuries, not being able to get the best players out, they've learned as they've went on, this being a lot of the players and particularly the club itself and Murad Masayev's first Champions League campaign so David one question I would pose to you is it's a what if question unfortunately is do you think that Krasnodar could have performed to a higher level and maybe I mean they already are, the, the the best performing club and the pride of Russian football teams in Europe right now. But do you think that they could have performed even better had their big name players been fit for longer?
2: You'd really like to say so, wouldn't you? Like uh, the game, the game against Sevilla. Um, I think it must have been the away game where uh, they they had the two the lead and then um, went back down three two. Uh, despite despite having 10 men uh, despite severe so having 10 men Vanderson was on the bench that game and for the last 10 minutes i think him and him and class both came on after after injury like they'd started the game with sabua up front and he only made it i didn't i think he was even subbed off before half time. once crash yeah. took the two nil lead because they wanted to try and shut up shop uh but that game, as soon as Randerson and Clarkson came on, they they were playing so much better at going forward. And they only had 10 minutes to try and do anything about it. Um, and, and, you know, I definitely remember saying, I think it was probably towards the end of the previous season, maybe very early stages of this season. Now, Randerson was playing in the form of one of the best players in the league. Uh, he was one of those guys where you won him And I, I remember we were comparing him to Promise and stuff. He was that guy who... He was going to be the match winner for Krasnod almost every week, and you could see it. Like he was playing with such confidence, uh, and so when he limped off against Palk, we all thought, "Oh, you know, he'll he'll be back." And then it ended up being, you know, almost six six weeks, six weeks, maybe two months that he, he was out for. Uh, and you know that was just such a huge loss, and not not to mention the rest. You know, with half half the squad being up with COVID, you know they, they had to start Spirtian, Sabua, uh, Shapi, Utkin. A lot of these guys, you know, they're very young. They're not experienced at this level. You know, Shappy, uh, not Chappie, Cebu and Spurzian, of course, barely experienced in the first team. They, they're just having good seasons for Krasnodar. So, uh, you know, you would have loved to have seen them be competitive. But if that's the thing, they were competitive even with the squads they put out. You know, they really gave it a good go uh, in both games against Sevilla. With, with a stronger team, maybe you, you fancy they could have come out of that. You know, they obviously lost the, the return leg right at the death, uh, ha- having lost 3 2 away. Uh, you know, I think the, the one all draw at Ren at the start was a really important result. You know, it was the debut game. But the squad was weak, but it wasn't at its weakest. It actually got weaker, I think, for the following two games, it then started to improve. Um, Granted, they did start with obviously a left back a left winger and, and things like that, uh, but Berg was also playing, so that was something that they didn't have in a couple of the other fixtures. Um, so to come away from France with a draw, uh, in a game that they possibly could have won, but you know a good away draw that that was a big big result, and obviously ultimately it was the defining uh, result of the of the groups. Um, mm-hmm. So um, yeah they, they started off strongly and then and they they did really well to deal with what they what was being chucked at them internally to uh, to force them out of the group considering you know how how Zenit and, and Loco, with their almost full squads um, did the
0: opposite yeah it's weird to say this but i think um perhaps speaking for a lot of us russian football observers and saying that watching Krasnodar Deliver on this stage is kind of like watching like a proud father from afar, <laughs> where you've you've kind of banged their drum for so much because they do so much in the right way off the pitch and on the pitch, and to see them really come up against this adversity and still be the only club to be in European Russian club, to be in European competition at the other side of Christmas really just shows how big of a job and how good of a job that everybody at Cracovia is doing, and they deserve the highest of praise. Uh, if we move on to Lokomotiv, and I will cover Lokomotiv myself, just quickly gloss over it because we spent quite a lot last week discussing Loko's game against Red Bull Salzburg and then, of course, the events with the kicknadze and all the rumours of his resignation and sacking and so on. Um, but basically, Lokomotiv lost 2-0 against Bayern Munich last night um, and they could only name such an inexperienced side with lots of first-team players missing. Uh, five substitutes, of which two were goalkeepers and three were young kids. Considering that, yes, they played Bayern's second team. I thought they really did put up quite a plucky performance. Um, where they plucky is probably the best word I can take to to describe it without causing offence to Loco and their fans, in that they were never going to win, and at times they did try and go toe to toe and really had a few pretty decent efforts. One from the young young lad who came on, Yossi I believe his name is. Con- can I can't remember it now, but yeah you're um,
1: awesome. yeah yeah
0: thank you yeah he, he I thought his his chance was was huge that one on one he had, but it was Bayern Munich, even their second team is streets above Loco's first team, so there's there's no shame in the performances the those defensive results that they got against Atleti in particular in the first game against Red Bull Salzburg really were excellent, and look Loco had absolutely nothing to lose, and they overperformed which is better than you can say about either Zenit or Siska. Now, what unfortunately we now must move on to is the more depressing news of the potential fallout of these generally poor and horrendous overall results from Russian teams in that Russia is currently eight points behind Portugal in the coefficients table um, and is only two points ahead of Netherlands and Belgium four ahead of Austria and one and five ahead of Ukraine and Scotland. Now, in 2022, if you look at the project projections of the coefficients by league in 2022, Russia does still stay stay 7th, but all of those countries really do catch up quite substantially. And this year, the 10 highest scoring countries in UEFA coefficients for 2021 so this season. None of them are Russia. Um, England is high, with so 13 points. Austria is in 10th with five. Russia's only scored 4.1 over the course of this year, which is really quite poor. And it's a decline that needs to be addressed as soon as physically possible. Um, but yeah, if we move back to domestic affairs, there was another round of RPL action at the weekend, in which there's now a, a still a continued three-way race at the top. As things stand, Zenit have got thirty-five points with a goal difference of thirty-four. Spartak also level on thirty-five points, but with a goal difference of fifteen. And then just behind them, Sisko after their after the draw at the weekend, have only got thirty-three points with a goal difference of sixteen. So, Richard, how are your thoughts on how this title race is going to going to pan out? And right now, who do you think's best placed?
1: It's a difficult one to really say, isn't it? Because um, you know. All three of them, Zenit, Spartak and Saskia, have had some wobbly moments recently. I think Spartak obviously lost at home to Rostov, then drew, I think it was away at Ural. Um, Zenit have had some hangovers as as well themselves. Like, you know, they had their habitual, um, you know, drop points points game in Tula. You know, I think that's four times in a row, (laughs) drop points away at Arsenal-Tula. Two of them have been defeats as well, two of them draws if I remember correctly. And I think the team probably most disappointed of all has been Siskar because they've had a lot of home games recently um, and, you know, other games on paper, which you'd say, you know, whilst not easy or winnable and they've, they've not really taken advantage of Zenit having this difficult run. You know, they they drew at home against Himke at the weekend. You know, they drew at home against Sochi. They lost against Rubin. You know, I think that was a chance in three or four of those games to those three or four games, I've just mentioned the chance on two or three of them to string some wins on the bounce and get, you know, build a bit of a lead over Spartak and Zenit, but they haven't really done it. It's really tough to say who's who's in the position of ascendancy at the moment in that three. Um, yeah, I honestly can't call it because all, all the teams have been quite, all three of them have had their little inconsistent moments and wobbles. And, you know, and Spartak and Zenit both hit five at the weekend, too. So you know, tough to say. Um, but you know, I think we might have a bit more of an idea, um, after the when the winter break hits these next couple of games, because obviously, you know, in two match days time, the last game before the winter break it's Spartak any and I'm really looking forward to that. But yeah, it's really tough to say who's really been, you know, um, who's in the ascendancy at the moment. It's it's so tight between the three of them.
0: Yeah, certainly, and if you look going forwards as well, how. Who each team have to play now? Of course, Spartak and Zenit play each other in the last game before the winter break. But looking after the winter break, all three sides have quite relatively similar fixtures. They all play each other just about. I mean, Siska plays both teams. They both play. They all play Krasnodar. They all have to play Loco. They all have to play Dynamo. They all have to play Rostov. Like, what their results are actually quite similar for the second half of the season. From a Spartak perspective, it's it's very much a 50-50 between, I would have preferred to have seen Spartak further ahead, considering they haven't had to play any European football, and now they are on equal footing in terms of games to be played. Um, but on the other hand, it's the biggest crazy house in Russia for a reason, and we'll, we'll, we will be getting more on that later on in, in our last topic, but... You don't expect anything optimistic with Spartak any season, so it's very much a (laughs) glad how the season's going. But looking ahead, it's in Siska or Zenit in particular's hands um, with who they play and the games that they have. I mean, Zenit will get their players back on the pitch, will not have to play Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, and so on, again and again like they have been. Um and same same of course with Siska who are currently playing right now and are missing Vlasic, Jagoyev, Mario Fernandez with one eye on the Ural game at the weekend. Um so it's going to equal out in that sense, and hopefully from my perspective anyway, Spartak can can really keep up that form with the the uh, Larson, Poncer, Alex Kral, and this sort of collection of foreigners in the spine of the team who are really and Samuel Gijos and A. 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 Aten, who are really Bonding well off the pitch and really developing a strong understanding on the pitch. Um, David, how's how's your old club uh, Rubin getting on of late?
2: Um, well, we had a disappointing result uh, over the weekend. Just gone where uh, we lost uh, lost to Lokomotiv. Um, we were all without uh, Despot. You know, he'd come on in the previous game against Loco off the bench, played for half an hour, scored the winner and then went off injured again uh, i think i have seen him back in training again but he wasn't fit for last week and that was a big loss um we took the early lead as well which was even worse um, for the fact that we ended up losing three1 um it, it, it wasn't good and they underlined the fact that you know even ignatcio is just not suited to how Ruben want to play um he, he yeah he, he's he's clearly lacking confidence as well you know he was missing he missed a couple of Half chances. He his touch was poor, uh, and then to make it all worse, he worse he, uh, he got himself sent off early in the second half for a second yellow um, for a, for a needless. You know, you just went to try and block a uh, block a clearance, uh, having already been on a yellow card, and it, it probably wasn't a second yellow, but it was needless regard. Uh, you know, it was a needless yeah. thing anyway. So, um, you know, why why risk it? You know, why risk the ref potentially giving you a card, even though it probably shouldn't have been. So, um, you know that, that that made the game you know a ton harder. Um, I think uh, at that stage it was uh, it was one all uh, for the for the opening Loco goal. Uh, we had the goalkeeper Medvedev, who was playing in place of uh, Dubin, who's still recovering from injury, uh, drop the ball from a free kick and let let a tap in for Ignatiev. Um, and then in the second half, I seem to recall he was the one who fouled to give away a penalty. I actually can't picture the incident in my head, but I know he did something else bad in the second half. So it just basically <laughs> underlined the fact that we desperately need Despot and, and Dupin back uh, in the in the 11, and we probably need a better foil for, for Despot. Um, he, he's so good at holding up the ball, um, and he's so integral for our team and so clinical. Um uh, with mean, ignati have a second choice and then after that two youngsters in klimov and Kosarev. um it, it's not it's not ideal um so either they've got to go out there and find another russian who can uh do what despot can do um which off the top of my head i can't think of someone like that could probably have have a good go and arguably they'd probably have to go down a division to get anyone close to doing that um or they have to shift out a foreigner and try and bring someone else in. Uh, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing players like Big Edge go uh, to get to get another striker in. But we'll see. we we'll see. It's uh it wasn't good, but you know, we're still having a, a decent season despite the fact we're in tenth. You know, it's so close between fifth between fifth and tenth there we've got five points. Uh, you know, a win would jump us straight up to seventh place. Uh, you know, with other results going our way if, if everyone was to lose above us. So, uh, you know we're still in there we're still in the fight for for fifth i think there's a big there big fight there for fifth place and anyone any of those teams between fourth and tenth could easily get fifth still you know we're tied with Krasnacht on points so um no i'm not too displeased with the season so far uh we, we've we've had some you know good results and, and some bad results um, it's just getting a bit of consistency which i'd like to see for us
0: yeah very streaky ruby and i've noticed that they go on Long runs of very good results, or decent results without losing, and then lots of long runs of not yeah. winning a lot. I mean, they've only won what three and eight and three and seven in all competitions. Um, I, I weirdly enough, it's it's a rare occasion today, that I, and I we both entirely agree with each other on a refereeing decision that that wasn't for me a second yellow card from Ignatia. If it was just stupidity that he put himself in that situation, and it just smacked of, to be honest, desperation. Somebody who's really feeling the pressure of. Not he, performing he did, and uh,
2: publicly apologise later on on Instagram to the fans for
0: for his yeah. for his sending off and his poor performance.
2: So for, credit to him for
0: that. So who would be up front for Rubin next game if Despot's still out?
2: Well, I'm hoping Despot's back. You know, I've, I'm I'm pretty sure I've seen him in training, but I would I would hasten to guess that it would be Makarov goes up front with Bakayev and, and Kafitche who is back um, playing out wide. Um, we we certainly played a game. In the last few weeks, I think it might have been the Hinckley game or the Rostov game. Actually, I think it was the Rostov game. Both of those games we lost uh, very poorly. Um, and I'm pretty sure in one of those games, Makarov played as the as the striker, as it were. Uh, I, I can't see Slitsky giving Klimov a cross ever go. I think of the two, Klimov would be the more likely, just because he's a bit bigger uh, and more likely to to be able to hold up like Despot did. But we'll see.
1: Hmm.
0: So if we move back to Moscow and actually one little interesting fact is if if the current top four in the Finna L holds then just under 50% no, it, 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 for 33% so an entire third of the whole, whole RPL will either be based in Moscow or the Moscow Oblast in some form so on that we move back to Dinamo. Now Richard Dinamo have been under what in my eyes is a is, uh, stellar form under Sandro Schwarz. They've only lost one game, which was that surprising 4-1 loss away to Rostov. And in his six games in charge, they have won four, drawn one, lost that one against Rostov. The one they drew was against Dinamo, and they've scored 13 goals in that time, including one in every single game that Schwarz has been in charge. It's a clear, massive improvement on what came before with the constant defensive nature and at one point in 2020 Dinamo actually had more yellow and red cards than they did have goals in the back of the net so <laughs> Richard what how did Dinamo do at the weekend
1: oh the draw was against Spartak by the way uh just a quick 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 correction <laughs> there <laughs> yeah um no um I thought the, the first half was a little bit scratchy it was a bit even Stevens but then second half I think Dinamo dominated and um you know, they got the goal just before half-time. Um, it was, uh, was Fomin, I think, who pounced after a goalkeeping save. Uh, after good work from... It was good combination play from Daniel Daniel Lezavoy And I think... Who was it? Vyacheslav Sarković and Lezavoy, I think it was, if my mind serves me correctly. But I think the old, the issue with Dinamo is, is that, whilst they're playing very well at the minute on Sandro Schwartz, and there's a huge improvement. You've got to give him credit. Apart with the only exception, obviously, being that disaster away at Rostov. The only issue, again, with Dinamo is, is failure to put a game away. And I think it just kind of highlights what they really need in the January window. They need a striker. I think it's um, ideally another player alongside Lesavoy and the two attacking midfielders behind the striker, but definitely a striker in the January window. And uh, I have a funny feeling they might try and get it. I know with Maximilian Philippe on loan at Wolfsburg, there's a purchase option for €12 million. Euros. I think Philippe's been getting a few assists and playing a bit for Wolfsburg. So hopefully that can be exercised and some of the funds for that can go on a striker. Because it's it's sad to say it, but Nikolai Komachenko just hasn't done it. He hasn't done it up front for Dinamo. He's suffering from you know lack of confidence at the moment, just generally not doing it in games. And I mean, even now, like Schwartz is even bringing... The young kid to off the eighteen-year-old kid to to off the bench in, in in place of him. So that's not exactly a ringing endorsement for for a striker, there. And, um, a decent decent money-wise striker signing. there, they're bringing a the young kid off the bench in front of you. Um, so I think Dinamo, I think they have one foreign spot free. I would prefer them to actually, if they can, try and move Sylvester Igboon on in the January window because it's just not really worked out. He, I didn't think he suited them. He was more suited to Ufa, I think. Um, move him on in the January window. Maybe he could even go back to Ufa. Probably might be best for all parties involved. And then, you know, they're, they're two foreign spots free. Then really go out in the January window where they, they get some of the proceeds from Philippe, really get themselves a good quality striker in there. Someone who's mobile, pacey, someone who can get between the in the gaps between the central defender and full-back, someone who, you know, people like Lesovoy, Szymanski, Morrow can feed. Because the four, the this, this the quartet of Lesovoy and then the midfield three of Szymanski, Morrow and Fomin is really, really good. The defensive for the very soon. I think in that Rostov game where they lost 4-1, they conceded obviously four goals that game. Um, that's basically a quarter of all the goals they conceded this season. 16 in one game. You yeah, know, I think they have got the third best defense in the league. And it's just obvious what they're missing. They've only scored 23 goals in 16, in 17 games. They just need a striker. So, mm. I'm really hopeful that they could just go out there and get that because the improvement on the Schwartz has been really good. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this game against um, Zenit at the weekend. And I think Dinamo will go into that game, you know, with a, a real chance. You know, obviously they're still underdogs. It's, it's away at Zenit. Well, you never know, if they win that game at the weekend, they're right up there then with the top three. You know, I mean, I don't want to get too giddy and say that, you know, Dinamo are title contenders, but they would be up there. And, you know, I think they can, if not perhaps challenge for the title this year, then put the building blocks in place for a challenge next year when Schwartz had a bit more time. So, optimistic signs at the moment. And, yeah, they go into that game against uh, Zenny in um, good, a good frame of mind, I think, especially with the form Les in and the midfield three on.
0: Yeah, and if we move further down the table, there's another side that have seemingly out of nowhere begun a, a reawakening at the bottom of the table, and that's that's Ufa. Ufa have now got two wins and two, and they've only won one, uh, loss. sorry, one in their last four games. And the the two wins as well are very impressive wins, of which, of course, Richard, you mentioned, Rostov last week defeated Dinamo, uh, a couple of weeks ago defeated Dinamo 4-1. And then Ufa, a week later, only went on to they defeated Tambov 4-0 and then went on to beat Rostov themselves 1-0. So David, how, how are Ufa getting on? Is it the new manager Rashid Rakimov turning things around or just getting players back on the pitch?
2: Um it's hard to say really. Obviously, obviously Rakimov coming in has made some difference. Uh, you know, he, he's been there a little while now so it's it's taken a while for, for them to get going. Um, you know, Yves of last year obviously was was really good with them. Uh, they were they were hardly struck by um, by COVID, and and then a lack of money in the summer, which led them selling their best players and not really replacing them. Um, so so that really hit them hard, uh, and obviously that that showed in the early stages of the season where the squad was clearly uh, not performing, and obviously uh, eventually led to Yves of leaving. Um, the Tambo game was, was a strange one. Obviously they won four 0 which, you know, maybe you know, they dominated this. Um, but you know, three of the goals are absolute worldies from outside the box. I, I seem to recall, um, the, the, combined XG for the three goals was something like 0.17. Um, that's like total, which is ridiculous. You know, like all three of those shots had less than, less than 10% chance of hitting the net. Uh, <laughs> and all three of them went in. So, um, you know, and then obviously they scored a tap in towards the end once the game was dead. Um, so yeah, they it, it was a strange one. They, they played well, but obviously they they had some some moments of magic to, to thank for getting them the win, arguably. Um, and then the the game last week or this weekend against Rostov was was almost back to classic Ufa. Rostov weren't really they had they haven't really turned up in the races, but Ufa were just doing what they used to do best. You know, where they just go somewhere, go away to a club and just frustrate them. Uh, and eventually, they 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 got they, they actually had a decent chance not long before the goal they scored. Uh, I forget who it was that had the decent chance, but then uh, a long ball goes over the back. Uh, someone was sleeping. I think it was Gigicic actually left Gigicic or whoever was playing right back at the time left Andrich, uh, the, the new striker they've got on loan, who's started scoring for them free. And uh, you know he manoeuvred some space for himself really well, and had you know an easy finish so. Um, that got them the win, but Rostov were really struggling to get to get anything going. They they had a, a strangely um, actually no, they wasn't this week. They had a pretty strong squad the previous week where they um, were lacking a lot of players. Um, but yeah, they they just couldn't really get much get much going on going forwards. Um, and it was you know it was just the classic if you if you are going to describe a classic game performance, it's go somewhere, not really do much, frustrate the opposition, and then score from one of your only chances, and that was what they did. Um, so, you know, uh, I'm a, we all know that I, I I'm a big fan of Ufers. I, I like them on I, I always sort of back them to, to, I was never of the opinion that, yeah, they're done for, which I know some people have written off completely, Hanu and Artyom. Um, so <laughs> I, I was always, of the opinion that, you know, that they, they can still get out of this, that, that they can still do something. It's still a transfer window to come. Uh, they've got foreigner spots available. Hopefully they've got a bit of money knocking around. They can do something, try and improve the squad. Um, but yeah, it's it's a rosy time down there at the moment. Um, a couple of wins on the bounces, all they need, and they've they've what? They jumped out of the the uh,
0: auto relegation spots. So um, so yeah, lovely. I think now it's time to to mention a team who doesn't maybe get mentioned enough on the RFN podcast. And last time we did talk about them was was two weeks ago with Misharon and I was in particular quite uh, optimistic and full of praise of their manager, Andrea Talalaev. And of course, I'm discussing Ahmad Gorozny. Now, what's happened today isn't necessarily optimistic, nor is it good news, but it's very Ahmad in the sense that it's utterly crazy and a wild headline. Now, I'm just going to read this out without any context first, <laughs> is that. The United States Treasury has imposed sanctions upon Ahmad Grozny FC under the Magnitsky Act, as the club is associated with Ram- Ramzan Kadylov. The deputy of the state Duma, Igor Lebedev, has reacted to this. Now, I will preface Lebedev's comments in saying that, for those who don't know, Lebedev is probably the more biggest joke figure in the Duma right now. It's like when he speaks, nobody listens, a bit like Farage. Um, I do not think that the sanctions against Kadyrov and Akhmat Football Club will affect his life or development. Everyone is so used to the new sanctions that they hardly pay any serious attention anyway, which is a, a crazily incendiary quote. Why would you say that but anyway we'll we'll give a bit of context. The Magnitsky Act was an act that was signed by the United States Congress in two thousand and twelve and it was basically the first act that was bipartisan support of the Republicans and Democrats, which is very rare in America and was signed into law by uh, Barack Obama. And it's t- it was intended to punish Russian officials who were responsible for the death of the Russian lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, in a Moscow prison in 2009. And it basically granted uh, a permanent normal trade relations status to Russia. It basically allows the US government to sanction those who it sees as human, uh, human rights offenders, freeze their assets and banning, ban them from entering the US. Now, if you look at the list of people on there, I think it's generally going to be quite accepted by the wider um, world that a lot of these people are pretty dodgy and are kind of uh, entirely on the list for a reason. Like, yes, I'm going to say it, Ramzan Kadyrov, he's on that list for a reason, and it's totally understandable why Ramzan Kadyrov is on that list. Why Akhmat are on that list is a little bit bizarre. You just can't imagine that... (laughs) Good old Wilker Angel is going to go to America on holiday. And they're like, oh, sorry, Wilker, you're not allowed in, mate. You play for Ahmad Grozny. Like, is that really going to happen? Like, oh, Andre you no, no, sorry, you can't enter Florida this year because you play for Ahmad Grozny. Now, it all seems a little bit bizarre and a little bit wild and kind of a little bit pointless. But it is just the latest in the wonderful world of the circus that is down in Grozny and now we always call Spartak a circus but at least Spartak's circus is pure footballing and not every single matter of life like Kadyrov's is. Anyway, moving on to the last topic of today which is the sacking of Shamil Gazizov. Now for those of course who will know, we all know, Shamil Gazizov has been sporting director at Spartak. He was signed in the summer after basically bringing Ufa from obscurity into Premier League regularity. And in roughly the end of November, a uh, rumour started to emerge that Sh- uh, Gazizov may leave Spartak in winter. And uh, we believe that the the, the rumours st- came from Sergei Yegorov, and according to RB Sport, and and that was around the back end of November. Interestingly, around the same time that we covered, that... Uh, former Spartak Sporting Director Dmitry Popov had been signed to the board as Sporting Director alongside Kazizov as technically CEO. Now, on the 1st of December, it was reported by Sebastian Turletsky that on that day, that Fadun met with Gazizov, and a verbal agreement was then reached to terminate his contract. Now, that had then basically spread like wildfire among the Russian press uh, and to be fair, I think well, my reaction anyway, and I think a lot of people's reactions was kind of incredulity. We were surprised why that was happening. It was always good to be like, what's Fadoon doing now? This is ridiculous. Look at this man can do if you give him time, money and flexibility to do so. However, on the back of that, it started to emerge from now. These All of these that I'm going to read are just rumours and hearsay that emerged from various places, such as um the uh, mostly Spartak telegrams and people who are unnamed sources in these telegrams. Now, the first of this was that details of a cryptic summer transfer window had emerged that it was seemingly a, a transfer was derailed by of himself. Uh, They claim that Spartak were ready to pay up to 10 million euros for Toulouse midfielder Ibrahim Sangare before Shamil intervened and then blocked the transfer with no explanation. Later on, they claim that as an alternative to Sangare, Spartak were in for Michelin midfielder Evander, but that pursuit too was then derailed by Gazizov. As a bluff, Spartak, Gazizov basically, made Ufa send in a blank bid to the Danish club, one that was equal to Spartak's own bid. Now, the, it's the, that's what these sources claim. And it's basically, the, it seems to be the intention behind that was that Gazizov didn't want Evander, Fedun did want Evander, and Gazizov created this phony bidding war to make the price go up so high that Fedun would pull a plug on the deal. Because essentially he wanted to protect Uranov and the team and his role in the team, because he was his like pet project that he brought in to Spartak. Now, Evander's agent has went on to claim that Actually, claim that these rumours are true, and that both Spartak and Ufa had both approached Midland for Evander, and even went on to as far as to say that the same people were acting on behalf of both clubs, which he is quoted as saying is bewildering. Now, Ufa are incapable of spending six to seven million euros on a player. That that is not a conjecture. That is a simple fact. They cannot spend that sort of money. So there's definitely something in that. Now, on the 8th of December, further different Spartak Telegram channels continued to claim that Shamil Kazizov deliberately sabotaged manager Domenico Tedesco's operations and wanted a Russian replacement for Tedesco. And that he repeatedly tried to paint Tedesco as a weak coach and one that needs to be replaced. And this was, of course, just this week on the 8th of December that these rumours emerged. Once again, all rumours, all allegedly. And then... Uh, more rumours emerged about more of Gazizov trying to exert control against Verdun, um, to paraphrase it and so on, but basically Gazizov apparently tried to make it seem like Tedesco was blocking transfers when in reality, Tedesco would only learn of them from the media and it, it was essentially a power struggle between Gazizov, um behind Tedesco's back and then this is why Popov was brought in to, to rein a leash on Gazizov, and now this report that was from Tereletsky in Sport Express on the first of December claimed that Gazizov would leave after the Zenit game, which is the last game on December the nineteenth, sixteenth, give or take, um, before the break up for the winter break. Now, it was announced on December the 9th that Gazizov had. Some of the eighth, are in the afternoon because these left Spartak just a few hours after the second round of rumours had emerged. Now, these days of speculation all came to an end as, as, as Spartak officially announced this. And I will say first that Spartak's announcement with the Grandpa Simpson gif was highly disrespectful and really not good enough for a club of their stature in any form, no matter what went on behind the scenes. So, and then in following, Yevgeny Meleshikov, the club's security head, would take over as a new CEO, who would take charge of all off-the-pitch and corporate affairs, while Dmitry Popov, of course, former sporting director himself, would take the manage the sporting side, forming transfer strategies, the relationship between Spartak's senior and youth teams, and general long-term footballing philosophy. That makes quite sense. Now, with all of these rumours... In the background, it does become clearer why Kaziev, if true, has been sacked. But regardless of that, I thought the tweet was highly disrespectful. So, David, first, what's your thoughts on this crazy and long-winded affair that I hope I explained clearly enough?
2: Well, I mean, it's, it's a strange one. It's, it's a bit disappointing, obviously, because we we were all hoping to see, you know, Gazizov Work with Spartak long term, and you know he, his his way of working, as we've seen at Ufa, is something that's going to be more affected over a longer period. Uh, you know, Ufa he was he was renowned for his good business in the in the market, going out there, getting players, uh, bring them in from from unknown locations, you know, players who are off the radar for a lot of clubs, developing them, showing they're good enough, and selling them for profit. Um, you know, and so to see to see to see it end so early is, is a shame. Uh, you know, we we all appreciated Gazis of work. You know, he, he was always one of those guys who came off as, you know, he he doesn't seem like a like a dick. He he comes off really quite well in a lot of his interviews that he does. He's very knowledgeable and he's obviously he obviously works quite well. Um, now, obviously, he he joined Spartak willingly and knowingly. Uh, that Leonid Fedun was there, and that he probably has, is going to try and stick his oar in, uh, and, and unfortunately, I think that's sort of been been uh, the beginning of the end for him. You know, it, it, if it does sound as if he's gone, he's gone there to Spartak. He's tried to make things work how he wants things to work. Fedun's come come along. It'll it, be like um, imagine you're a kid playing with Lego, right? Um, and, and you're building something really cool, really impressive, and then your brother comes in. He says, oh, let's do this, breaks it, and then walks off not interested anymore. Fedun is the brother in this situation. And Gazizov's like, well, I'm out. I've had enough. But actually, it's the brother's legacy. And he, and you, he tells you now, you can't play with it anymore. Um, so it, it sounds like basically he's just fed up of having to work with Fedun, uh, who basically doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, yeah. wanted to just sign players on a whim, presumably without you know, checking with with scouts or analysts or whatever the press is, is there Uh, and basically uh, not willing to give up the control that he would have expected in the role of technical director and which you might expect a technical director to get uh, with a president likely just to sit there and and let you do your job, not micromanage you or do your job for you. So um, it's a shame if that's the case. uh, And it does seem likely that that's the case.
0: Um yeah, it, but, it's 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 typical the, for Dune. Yeah, it's it's just typical for Dune. For Dunes that you you put the nail in the head of that the analogy. He is the one who who likes to have his shiny toy and likes to just stick his oar in and what his new shiny toy is doing now and again. Um more than more often than not, if he will panic and He'll think that it's going wrong, it's going badly, because he's being badly advised, really, really badly advised. People like Zarema Shalikova and Anatoly Bishovets, um, some other legends have recently have unfortunately passed away, so I will not name them out of respect for their for the for their person. Um have been behind the scenes badly advising Fatun for far too long. And he Has basically never learned for this. It's a shame because because comes in and it's the first time they give a real Spartak outsider a chance. They give him real autonomy and flexibility. or, well, seemingly did so, and it it looked like it was all going so well and off the pitch and on the pitch. Now, his start of his transfer campaign wasn't ideal, but it's long term. This role is is ninety percent long term. It's looking ahead and what you can, what as opposed to looking here and now, which Fadun does so often. But having said that, if if these rumours are true, and of course, need to say again, it is conjecture. And if these alleged things are true, because he's have really created for himself an untenable position. He will never get that sort of autonomy at Spartak that he had at Uther. He must have known that from the start, even in the best of situations. It's just not how it works at a club of that size. And it never will work that way. Maybe he is best off as a big fish in a very small pond, like he was there. Um, I mentioned Bichavets, who was, of course, former Zenit and national team coach and so on, player and everything. And he gave his opinion on because he's off of late, and he said that um, <laughs> he basically believes that the it creates con- the football creates conditions for the head coach to work, and that that's what his job is, was, and that he, he didn't allow. These conditions, he, he he basically put himself head to head with Tedesco too often, more more so than actually with Fadoun. Now, Bishovets is, like I said, very very good friends with Fadoun and and advises Fadoun quite a lot. So I don't know how much he will say about Fadune, but it's interesting that his, his Bishovets's opinion it was the going head to head with Tedesco and not Fadoun that really sparked the end of Gazizov. Because if that is the case, this very much is a different in the norm from Fadoun, because every time that a manager gets too big for his boots, gets too popular, gets too good, maybe, or, or sees too much, they get rid of. Carrera, it happened to him, it happened to Alain, it's happened to Carpine. Lots of managers over the years at Spartak, since Verdun's came in, when they go head-to-head with Verdun or try and exert a little bit too much influence, they get binned. Now, this is the first time he's actually went on the manager's side, twice, because Zorn was binned. I mean, Zorn was Tedesco's man. They weren't going against each other, but this there's been two people sacked and relieved of their duties in high-level positions since Tedesco was announced, and neither of them are the manager, which is really, really unique situation for Spartak. Richard, what's your thoughts on the whole debacle?
1: Yeah, I am about to say, James, I kind of, and I, I get where you're coming from and I, I kind of agree. It's if 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 this is true of course about um Gizzov, if these rumors are true and of course obviously all rumors you treat, treat with a pinch of salt but if this is true then i think it's quite simply yeah there's it it's a refreshing change from Fadun actually i mean i still think you know you're always with Spartak waiting for the next episode with Fadun aren't you regarding what he's going to do next but this is actually quite a refreshing change and out of the two horses between Gazizov and um and Tedesco Whilst because he's off does have an impressive reputation for the work that he's done at Ufa, and you know that is clear for everybody, and you know I'm I'm, I'm absolutely convinced he probably will end up going back there at some point soon. But I think the Feduna's backed the right horse here in Tedesco because, like I say, Tedesco is a young manager who, you know, at the age of 33, he got Schalke to the second to second place in the Bundesliga, qualified for them, to, for them for the Champions League. Since he's left them two or three managers have gone in there at Schalke and it's been a disaster you know at the bottom of the Bundesliga at the moment and you know he's a real promising new manager but rebuilding his reputation and ultimately at the end of the day I think this is this the if if it was a choice between backing two horses, I think Faduna's backed the right horse here in Tedesco, and I think it was it was important that this was solved quick because Spartak are doing really well at the minute. As I said on last week's pod, they've a chance of winning the title. It's definitely on this season because all all the it's really close to the top, and the league has not been the best of standards this year, as as evidenced by the clubs, you know, result the Russian clubs results in Europe in by and large. So. I think it it just needed sorting quickly and um hopefully now all this is put to bed and you know Sparta can just get on with things now. But yeah, I I think as he's off if these rumours are true, it's not you're not gonna be allowed the same autonomy at a big club than you are at a small club. It's a completely different operation. You've got different people to work with, probably more egos, you know, it's it's completely different. So But the most important thing is now that it's solved and um, if it was a choice between backing off and um, Tedesco, if if the relationship was unrepairable, then, yeah, I think it's probably the right decision to back Tedesco.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like I say, I I, want to echo the thoughts that it is a shame that it's got to this point. But it's if if Fadun didn't back Tedesco, he would have probably had an... uh, a full-scale riot on his hands because the the, <laughs>
1: the
0: the Spartak fans and more so the players genuinely adore and worship the ground that Tedesco walks on. The players specifically so um every time you watch a player interview or read a player interview or they or watch even just the videos on Fratria and on Spartak's official YouTube channel and and other Spartak fan websites. You really see just how in awe the players are of of his character and just how much they really genuinely do respect the man um he's He is fiery, but behind the scenes by all accounts, he is like a second father to a lot of these who is very young young lads and and a very young side. And you can just see that um, every time he, every Zelenkan Bakayev subbed on or off the pitch, <laughs> Tedesco just gives him a hug, grabs him and smacks him on the butt or smacks him on the back of the head. And Bakayev's just kind of like staring at him, not really knowing what to do. But you can just see that he, he is in awe of him. Um, so it, he had to keep Tedesco no matter what. But anyway, that's the end of this week's RFN podcast. Um, I would like to end as well this week by apologising for not having the promised previews with uh, previewing the two German club matches between the two Russian club matches. Unfortunately, technical gremlins got the best of them and and they are up in the ether somewhere. But um, yeah, check out. We'll be back next week with the regular RFN podcast and we're going to have the return of the analytics for the Champions League and Europa League games. Uh, we're going to have an opinion on the potential next uh, CEO and director in Zenit, and David's football manager piece will be coming out in between the two of the, this pod and the next pod. Uh, Richard, where can everybody find yourself online.
1: Find me at um, at richdpike89 at richdpike89.
0: And David,
2: uh, you can find me at at rfn underscore david.
0: This has been the RFN podcast. Goodbye for now
1: футбольный матч, летит над полем мяч. Введи его, беги,
0: точнее его ударь, Но мяч берет ноги решительный празарь, Не
2: напрасно футбольное поле Самых ловких и смелых
1: плечо. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, быстро, увлечение, расчет.